2: is the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from goodison park Hello everybody and welcome to this very special joint blood red and royal blue podcast i'm Phil bride and i'm your host the everton correspondent and today joined by joe rimmer paul gorse and adam jones as we talk about the issues that are facing both clubs during this coronavirus crisis. And while the Premier League remains on shutdown, suspended indefinitely, but with hopes potentially of a return this summer, but we will see no games for the time being. Um, And today we'll be talking about those issues that affect both clubs. Furloughing, obviously, a huge talking point over the last week or so. Player wages, uh, deferrals, uh, paying into this NHS fund and, and, and also discussing how football will look when it comes out of this crisis, a lot of talk about a downturn and, and how football financially will look much different than it does now. Gorsi, um, I'll start with you. I don't know you, you guys have spoke about it on a separate Blood Red, but just for the purposes of, of, of today's pod, um, what, was, what was the um, thinking at the club, as best you know it, at Liverpool? Um, first of all, to use the furlough scheme, and then quite quickly to, to, to you turn on the decision?
1: To be honest, I, I don't think they expected quite the the, um, the, the feeling of, of of anger about it, to be honest. I mean, it was announced on, on a Saturday afternoon, wasn't it? And by the Monday evening, they'd basically done a complete 180 on it. So um, I suspect Liverpool officials were locked in talks across the weekend, just trying to, to come to a, an, an agreement, because, you know, Liverpool to kind of sell themselves You do, you know, we hear so much about the spouse and the user of Bill Shankly and the Bill don't really miss an opportunity to quote him when they can. So to say that this means more and you know all the kind of socialist values that Shankly is synonymous with, to then kind of go back on that and use a, a government fund that was set up for struggling businesses to pay your lowest um your lowest paid workforce just didn't sit right with, with many of the supporters across the world and, and it was very much it seemed to be more the the outpouring of of anger towards it. it was it was very much more of a local thing. I had quite a few supporters from uh, from America and various you know parts of the world who didn't quite see why there was so much disappointment around in the decision when the staff were still being paid 100% of, of their wages. Um, obviously. Uh, using a, a Tory government to prop up 80% of, of salaries was something that didn't sit right with a predominantly left-leaning supporter base, particularly in the city. So um, I think they people were taken aback by the, I mean, certainly the owners, FSG, they're obviously Boston-based and only really Mike Gordon, who spends most of his time on Merseyside. So I think they were taken aback by the the, um, the reaction to the decision. So it was good that they came to, the, to that U-turn quite quickly. And it was good that they were able to hold their hands up and say to Peter Moore's open letter that, yes, OK, they got it wrong and it's one that they're rectifying and they, they take up on now and are oh, using normal own funds to pay who are, as we say, the lowest paid members of staff.
2: Um, Joe, obviously, evidence at the stance at the minute remains that there's no immediate plans, but of course, review reviewing the situation. But why do you think that other clubs who have used furlough, Spurs, Newcastle, I um, think Norwich, um, why do you think they seem to have escaped the um, heavy criticism that, that came in Liverpool's way?
3: I think there is there is a difference between the types of fan base, as of course Steve mentioned then. Liverpool's fan base is, is very much in the city, left-leaning. And, um, I think what what worries me is that nobody saw this, maybe some did, see this coming. I, I thought as soon as it was announced, I think all of us um, were talking and saying, I can't believe that this has happened, and I think a lot of the fans that was their immediate thought. Um, and I just don't think you get that with many other clubs, especially suppose some of the London clubs. It might be the fan base is perhaps a bit more varied, but in Liverpool, it's a very much left in fan base. And they didn't see this, didn't see the backlash. Um, it's slightly worrying. Um, it's the second time that they've sort of climbed down on something—the the, uh, seventy-seven-pound tickets in twenty sixteen walkout that followed at Sunderland. Um, you know, they learned their lesson then. They were praised for the U turn, the the, um, the apology that followed after that. And they've rightfully been praised again for this, but it just slightly slightly worries me that's happened again. Um, I think perhaps they should have seen which way the wind was blowing and, and, and delayed this a little bit and at least waited for more clubs to show their hands before they decided to make a decision like this.
2: Mm. Um Adam from an Everton point of view um some of the clubs that have used the decision have obviously been in profit in the last set of rounds that we've been Everton, obviously quite the opposite recourses. Um how how do Everton resist the the need to furlough if this goes on for for, for, for you know longer and, and, and cash flow becomes a big problem?
0: Um, I, th- I think they've just got to prioritize this, to be honest, because I think we've seen from the backlash not towards Liverpool, just towards Liverpool as well. I think we saw it... I think i mainly first saw it when Spurs took this decision to fellow staff and there was quite a lot of uh, backlash in the national media from that but it it, it shouldn't even really be uh just down to football clubs as well any sort of you know million pounds billion pound business shouldn't really be looking to use this scheme for their own benefit like this and that we all know that's why this fellow scheme wasn't brought in i think we all kind of understand the Businesses were always going to take advantage of it in some way, but Everton have set themselves up to be this bastion for the community. It can't really be seen to be going down that route, and you know, tra- trying to use government money to to essentially dig themselves out of the hole in 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 the future. So, I think Everton have just got to prioritise doing anything possible to stay away from the furlough scheme and just you know keep using their own funds in any way shape or form because you know we, at the financial impact of this disease just we we can't really know anything about it for a good long while yet so I think Everton have just got to try and prioritise look let's just pay all our staff uh, ourselves and then let's see where the situation lies in a few months.
2: I guess because of that um, deep uncertainty and, and the concern about seasons perhaps Thought of the threat of seasons not being finished, and of course, the potential, therefore, of TV companies asking for rebates. And and, you know, the Premier estimating that it would be at least one billion pounds lost across the Premier League if the season was not completed. Um, the onus, or certainly the conversation, has has again gone on to player wage cuts or deferrals. Ghosty, what what do you think is going to happen there? Uh, generally across football, do you think we're going to come to a, an answer and an agreement? Do you think the twenty clubs, Southampton are the, are the only club father that have an agreement? Um, do you think that players will reach agreements with their clubs on on, on wage cuts? you
1: would like to think so, but when you think of some of the some of the wages that get paid across the Premier League, you know, you, you look at Liverpool for example. I think it's it's probably uh, Mohammed's salary. I think he's the the highest earner of the club and. Um, there are a handful who are not too far behind on what uh, we believe to be worth around about £200,000 a week. Um, you'd hope that um, all this this wealth can kind of fritter down and, and help out the club in, in, in other areas where a little bit shorter. Obviously, we've seen the club were willing to, to kind of dip into the government funds. So um, you'd hope that that can be kind of used elsewhere and, and an agreement can, can be reached. But... Um, it's a difficult situation because there's so many players and and so many different uh, different circumstances surrounding them. You know, a single amount of money to Mohammed Salah is is a a whole lot more to someone like Curtis Jones, where where the the, the disparity between the, the weekly earnings is probably huge. So, um, it's not just going to be a blanket thing where I, th- I think sometimes people who don't really follow football as closely as, as as we do and, and so on just kind of assume that the the going rate for any Premier League player is that kind of Superstar mm-hmm. salary of a Mohamed Salah, of a Virgil van Dijk, of Sally But the rest is that there's so many young players coming through who, okay, they do earn a, a really good wage by, you know, comparatively for the rest of the country and, and other other jobs and, and other sectors and so on. But they're not going to be earning anywhere the superstar wage. So to ask for them to take a 30% cut um, isn't a, a cut and dry thing and it's not um, particularly easy for, for them to do that. So... It's, um, it's a difficult one and it's not an open and shut case. Um, there's going to be a lot of discussions that are going to need to be taken from Liverpool, from Everton, from every other club across the Premier League to come to some sort of agreement. Um, hopefully it can be done, but um, it's not as not as easy as just saying, right, you're already put 30% and you're still earning enough money to, to get on with it because um, it's just quite plainly not that simple.
2: So that has to, that has to be something, though, from the players, surely, because... Um, we we don't know if the season will be finished. Obviously, the Premier League are making a commitment to try and get it finished, of course, and we do hope that it can be done. Um, but Burn- the Burnley chairman, Mike Garlick, I think it was the last, last weekend, was saying if there's no games, they'll run out of money in August. That's Burnley. Yeah.
3: Well, I, I, think, I think they're really able to find this agreement, especially across all clubs, because there's so many factors at play and so many people involved. You know, um, the PFA seems to be... Resistant the moment but I think clubs might have to agree with their own staff certain, certain wage cuts because I mean look some of the the bigger clubs could get away with it with the, with the revenues they and elsewhere but this could be catastrophic for a lot of clubs I mean you, you look back what was it the ITV deal years and years ago that, mm. that, that almost ruined many clubs in football and, and this sort of thing if this lasts could be you know it could bring down the sort of house of cards that has been built money which has been going up and up and up and i don't think there'll be a lot of clubs that never expected that to slow down and that's why i think we're seeing clubs use these fellow schemes because they're, they're probably quite afraid and they, they don't know how long this is going to last and i agree with adam Lee. i don't think they should be using it the fellow scheme is set up to help small businesses my dad runs a small business if he has to close the fellow scheme would, would probably save him but i don't think we should be surprised at clubs use it because they're big businesses they're hard nosed they have to they have to make tough decisions and they'll do things that are unpopular and you know that whether they like it or not the owners aren't always going to put money in so I think they'll be coming down they'll need, need players to, to take wage cuts but I think they'll find this decision really difficult to get through because there's a lot of factors at play.
2: Uh, just staying with that though and you know uh, as Gorsi makes a very good point and it, it was it was something that when he talked about in his column over the weekend that there are various you know every, a, a squad doesn't have 23 people on 200 grand there's you know there's, there's a full spectrum of wages and everybody's got personal circumstances and, and everybody's different but you can't escape from the fact that at most Premier League clubs the highest the, the most amount of money spent on anything in one given season or, or one year is player wages so if the players don't take pay cuts some of their football clubs could theoretically disappear
0: Yeah yeah, it, it's a really weird situation isn't it and I suppose maybe looking at it from an Everton and Liverpool perspective you probably don't get the wide range of what could possibly happen at a Premier League club because obviously we've got FSG who are running Liverpool who are worth billions we've got Farhad mashiri in charge of Everton who's worth billions as well so in all likelihood it's probably not gonna come down to that on either side of the club. But you know, what you're mentioning there about Burnley, you know, if, if there aren't matches played, they could go under by August. You know, that, that that is that's really unthinkable. Like imagine at the start of the season thinking to yourself a Premier League club could go like could go there by August next year. Like that is that's absolutely incredible. And I think I think I agree with Joe. It, it it's gonna be hard to come up with some sort of blanket sort of blanket wage cut for the for the entire hmm. League. It's not just it's not just the individuals at each club who are going to have to consider their own situations, but it's each club that's going to have to consider their own situations as well. Like y- you can't expect you know top earners like at Burnley let's say you are going to be at more risk than a club like Everton. You can't you surely can't be asking the the top earners at Burnley to be taking the same cut as at Ever as at hmm. Everton to yeah. try and save themselves. It's it's a really weird dynamic. And as I say, I think Everton and Liverpool are probably in a, you know, like, I don't want to say a good situation, but, you know, a, a more comfortable situation almost than a lot of other Premier League clubs. And, you know, you're probably seeing that with the likes of Norwich, Newcastle, Burnley. Uh, yeah, so it, it, I think Everton and Liverpool can consider themselves a tiny bit lucky that, they, that they've got, you know, owners who are worth so much because I don't think it will come to that. And I think, you know, further down the line, if it does come to the, you know, players taking wage cuts. I wouldn't be surprised to see Everton and Liverpool players kind of leading the way in that respect. Mm.
2: So what's going to happen? <laughs> Million-dollar question, and I, I, I know we're going to, not going to be able to find any answer because no one knows the exact answer, but does this change, Gorsi? <coughs> Do you think what Liverpool's plans were for the summer? There's a lot. You know, there's been a lot of talk about people like Timo Werner and, and what have you. I'm sure you would be able to clarify that for us, does this whole, this this whole pandemic fact that there's a feeling that football financially will take a hit? Do you think do you think you think Liverpool and and Jurgen Klopp are going to have to sort of take a, a step back and, and reconvene with Michael Edwards and go, now we we can't go for player X, Y, and Z. Or on the flip side, this club are going to need to sell players to, uh, to, to to help them help them out of a black hole, so we we can we can go in and and get somebody we maybe didn't think we could.
1: Yeah, I think we might get a transfer market that's a little bit more um streamlined if you like. We we see so many figures now and, and the, the going rate for a, a decent Premier League player is forty, fifty million, isn't it? And you don't really bat an eyelid when trend that kind of So I think we might see a little bit more of a um, of a decrease in in transfer figures across the across the planet. Um I think something that starts to resemble a little bit more, you know, what, what you might consider fairly normal. Um because let, let's face it, we, we've already heard Olegon and this week suggesting that Manchester United might be able to exploit the transfer market and those well, are yeah, already yeah. used. Mm-hmm. Um, so big clubs who, OK, they've been hit financially by, you know, the, essentially football has, has stopped trading, but um, big clubs still got a financial reserve to fall back on. And if the case is that clubs have to sell their players, a little bit of a knockdown price, then Liverpool. You would imagine would be a club who were able to kind of profit from that. If, if you if you if you can say that, I mean, it sounds a little bit opportunistic and a little bit perverse, but that could be the situation when Liverpool do bring in a player that was once worth forty or fifty million when they're bringing him in for maybe around half that. So um, that could be the knock-on effect, but uh, it would be a knock-on effect for the entire football and ecosystem. So I think we might see transfer decrease um, significantly this this summer.
2: What about wages, Joe? Do you think that inevitably new contracts, new players coming in, you simply can't and their you simply cannot ask for what players are on now?
1: Yeah, quite probably yeah. Um, if you if you think player coming in now Liverpool would pay what, 150000 for a first team star coming into the into the team, it might be a case of Maybe pay around a third of that, and then once everything's back on its feet, then you can look at a, a contract renewal that's more in line with what the big, big stars are already in. That that could be one way of looking at it, but it's um it's such a such a difficult thing to predict, isn't it? Thank
3: okay. <laughs>
2: um, I I'll, I'll,
3: things I'll, so. you did say joke,
2: didn't you? I did I did. I'll, I'll, the, I'll,
3: the big one.
2: Uh, I'll come back to you um, Adam <laughs> uh, Adam w- w- where does this position potentially same question from, from, from an Everton point of view um, you know we, we're aware of, of of the interest before the suspension in, in, in Gabriel at Lille young defender would look like he was going to cost 30 million quid Um do you think that this increases Everton's chances of being able to get him or does this make it doubly difficult? Will, will they up the price? Will, will they reduce the price? I think
0: it's interesting, isn't it? Because we were already very interested by what Everton's transfer situation was going to be anyway after you know the latest club accounts and the general meeting. You know, it's it's very obvious that Everton have to be a little bit more careful with their money than they are over the last few years. And I think maybe the situation that we're in now just has prioritised the need for a really clear and cohesive transfer strategy, which, you know, apart from maybe the summer of 2018-19 the 2018 19 season, there hasn't really been that at Everton uh, for, a, for a little while. So it, it really puts a little bit of pressure on Ancelotti and Brands. You know, this scattergun approach almost that Everton have seemed to possess over the last, well, probably before Marcel Brands came in over those few years, that scattergun approach just won't work. Now Everton can't be seen to go and spend, you know, twenty million here, thirty million there, thirty million there. Like we, we, the Everton have got to list priorities, their their targets, their positions that they want to they want to bring in. And you know, with the current financial situation across the Premier League, it might mean that they have to you know, bin off signing a player in one of those positions. Maybe they have to change their target for another one of those positions because he's going to cost too much or. The situation's just took that player away from them, but yeah, I think it's just going to make having a cohesive transfer even more
2: important for Evan. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Joe, does this not potentially lead on to another question about you know clubs will will find success or or not um, based on the strength of their academies?
3: Absolutely, I think what Adam was saying there, I think you've got a list of targets you might have to prioritise and you might have to turn to players, that younger players, so perhaps it could be a good thing for young players and academies across the country who might then get a chance. I know, you know, of course you're talking about Liverpool, I, I think Liverpool are a fairly prudent club when it comes to the transfer market and I think they they won't go rushing into this one now um, like perhaps they might have done before this, before this crisis, so you know, they've got, they've got good young players there that I'm pretty sure Jürgen Klopp would be more than comfortable to turn to. People like Curtis Jones, people like Nico Williams. So, I think a lot of clubs might have to put faith in, in certain players' academies. It might have been a good thing for those players. Um, you know, I do think that the transfer market will be, I think it'd be a strange one. I think a lot of clubs will have different, you know, the richer clubs might be able to get away with a bit more so that the, um, the other clubs might have to try and sell players quicker. Um, I think... I really don't know what we're going to see in terms of fees and um, you would expect them to come down. But one or two clubs might try and be stubborn and, and, and try and get what they they would have thought was value, say, last summer. And um, so it's going to be really interesting. I think we could see quite a slow start and then a frantic finish to whatever window we end up getting.
2: Yeah, of course, and, and, we, and we still don't know when that'll be. Um, just moving on, EFL, what um, they told clubs this week, that they believe they can get the remain, remainder of their season uh, completed in 56 days this summer. Um, so potential there for um, maybe for a framework or, or a blueprint for the Premier League uh, going into June, July. Um, but the assumption on on, on, on all of that it seems to be um, ghostly that games will have to be played behind closed doors. How do you think <clears throat> supporters across the board will react if that's confirmed?
1: I mean, you're almost getting into the territory where you just want to get it done and dusted and just recap it all and get next season started when it's when it's to do so. I think, from the Liverpool perspective, it mean, crushing to have Jordan Henderson lifting that Premier League trophy in front of no-one. I think it'd just be a soulless victory after waiting 30 years for, for the first league title win, And I just couldn't really imagine how surreal and sad that kind of prospect would be. But at the moment, it, it's probably looking like the most likely scenario, isn't it? Because who knows when it's going to be safe to have 40,000, 50,000 people congregating into, into a football stadium once again. So, um, unfortunately, that doesn't look to be the most viable way forward at this stage. Um, I know some people have suggested to just wait and wait it out until... You know, you, you can kind of pack thousands of people into a small area once again and get it all running and bring out just traditional all atmospheres for, for big games. But um how long do you wait? that that is the thing? So it's um it, it's a really difficult one, but I think from a Liverpool perspective so I mean it it probably would represent it something of an anti climax, wouldn't it, when Liverpool finally do lift that Premier League title and um there's no one here to see it and who knows what the, the measures are with the, the lockdown situation at that point and when it happens, people are still going to be indoors and not going to be able to go out and, and have a drink to celebrate it. It's just such a such a surreal position that we're all in at the moment and we're just taking it day by day to, to see what, what the answers are. But um, it's, it would be a really, really weird situation now.
2: Ad, how do you think football... Supporters would react if the Premier League said that the season is coming back, but the running nine, ten games will be without. Fans.
0: Yeah, it's something that we've spoken about on Royal Blue for a little while, isn't it? Like, I'm I'm of the opinion that football without fans just is hollow and a, a little useless. Really, I, I think not only the atmosphere changes, but you know, I, I there's no part of me that thinks you know that that must affect everybody on the pitch as well and you can't you can't play to the same sort of intensity it, it what empty stadium rather than a stadium full of forty thousand of your fans like it's going to be so different and you know you've got clubs like you know let's say the clubs who are fighting relegation you know they they need those they need fans with them to get the big performances especially in their home games you know and to be playing that in front of no supporters it's just it's Gonna feel even worse for them if they were then to be condemned to relegation. So I think as an absolute last resort, yeah, that's what it's gonna have to come to. Because I still think finishing the season should be the priority. I don't think we should be prioritising starting a season that you know has, you know hasn't started yet. I think as we've talked about, you know, the importance of getting these games on. You know, for clubs even like Burnley in the Premier League is it's so financially important to get these on. There we, so, uh, it, it will be a real shame if we were to play games behind closed doors, but if that's what it comes to, then I think that's what it's just going to have to be.
2: Joe, um, just going back to Goss's point of Liverpool and, and winning the league uh, behind closed doors, I mean, I mean, the, the, the prospect of behind closed doors football is fraught with difficulties anyway, but how on earth would the city be able to sort of police or, or control? Because everybody would want to come out of a Liverpool persuasion and celebrate that. And how difficult would it be to actually prevent people from being round the ground on the night when, you know, the club could could the trophy? It'd be so difficult, surely. Well, that's it.
3: I have absolutely no idea. I mean, I personally think that, they they have to get the season finished and if that's behind closed doors. I think most fans accept that, but the warriors, that would just turn out. And the warrior people would say, you know what, screw this. Even even if I have to go around to my mate's house to watch it, people would be breaking the rules, um, left, right, and centre. And I, I just think the authorities think what's sort of to if you you can't pack people into the ground. And I think they will have to get this this season finished. And I think it will be behind closed doors. I think Liverpool as a club will probably promise some sort of party afterwards, you know, they'll fill out Ambield, they'll lift trophy again there, they'll have a parade, all that sort of thing. Um and I think most sensible fans will accept that this has to be done and it has to be done behind closed doors. It's it's that sort of situation. But how they police that sort of thing is just it's it's a worry, it's it's an unknown. Um I think that will be be the biggest concern um around playing games behind closed doors but look it's it's not about Liverpool is it? They, they get the season done not Liverpool but for, for, for Leeds United for West in for the clubs in the relegation zone for the clubs in League 1 and League 2 you know all of those clubs need to get things sorted and they need to know where they are season you can't start season without getting left off and um you know, I think we talked about the financial implications of a break or the financial implications for a club like say Leeds United, who I've sit on the brink for what happens to them if they've spent a the season almost getting up, the season gets cancelled and they don't go up. Yeah. And
2: then
3: and then this break comes through. They could they could go under. It's 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 not, not beyond the round of possibility. But I, I think we need to get this done. And if it's behind closed doors, uh, fans need to be sensible enough to accept that and um except that it needs to happen
2: so if it does go behind closed doors and i'll open this to, to anybody who wants to answer what does sky bt have to do because if you're a season ticket holder at goodison or anfield uh, and you can't go and watch that game that you that you were uh, you paid for i mean you probably get a season ticket or, or what have you but are you not entitled to see that game if it's played behind closed doors
1: I think there'd be a, a model duty on on TV companies, so open it all up and and just ignore the subscriptions and just make it like on like BBC, it, um, because that is a, is a massive incentive to keep keep people indoors and keep people you know watching it from the sofas. Um, so I mean that's what they'd have to do. I mean let's face it, the Premier League want to get the season done because of the division deal, because of of how much money is still owed. There's still ninety two games left to play. How many of them are going to be on on TV how much is, is a TV game worth? Um, it, it all represents around a TV deal. I think when it was last agreed, it was um, around about nine point two billion, which just shows you the the kind of figures that 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 they're dealing with. So um, I think from Sky and and the BT perspective, they they would have to just stick it on there for free.
2: Anybody disagree, Gasty? You think that's that's the way it would have to go?
0: No, I uh, I completely agree. I think the, the... We'd finally have to see, you know, Saturday three o'clock games being televised. You know, wherever I think obviously raises a good point. It's going to put it on, you know, normal like terrestrial TV. I think that's probably the biggest incentive that people are going to have to just stay indoors and watch it from the comfort of their own couches. So I'd have to completely agree with that. But I think just this whole scenario is just we're, we're scrambling for any sort of clarity in a situation that just isn't isn't going to provide it anytime soon. You know, I think. The Premier League and you know of football in general, we move the rest of the country, rest of the country, but the rest of the world in how we're we're dealing with this situation. And at the minute, we, we haven't dealt with it well enough to be able to really consider and put into put into place rock solid plans that will happen forth in the future. So you know we can keep we can keep these questions going. I suppose, but they are only going to be questions for foreseeable future because. To say I can't. I, I just can't see how this situation is going to change for a while.
2: Do you have any any punch or, or, or idea that you, when you think we might see football back?
3: <laughs> That's tough. What well, well, China? China have just coming out of um, isolation, now, they? So three months. Mm. So this is week three, am I right? Yeah. It all seems to sort of join together. So week three and the first week of April. So. Maybe towards the middle end of June. Mm. You know, and then and play throughout the summer months, have a break, start the new season again in late September. I don't know. Um that, that's a that's a massive guess.
2: And
0: yeah,
3: and yeah. China went into lockdown, they, they did it very well, they were very strict. Um, we perhaps weren't as strict in lockdown immediately. So every country's different. It's it's difficult to know. It's difficult to know.
2: Mm. Just just going back to players and, and contracts, obviously FIFA um release their guidelines this week about about contracts that would have would have uh, finished at the end of June because obviously didn't won't be finished by then. Um Gorsi, how does that impact Liverpool? Are, are the players that were likely to have left in the summer gonna be hanging around for longer than expected now?
1: You'd imagine so, yeah. I mean I think um, I think Pedro Chiravella is one of them. Adam Lallana is still likely to leave that band at the moment that will have worked so hard over the last two years to tie down their big stars to, to long-term deals. You can think of pretty much everyone in the squad who was signed before 2018 as South a deal. The only one who wants his final move um, is probably the odd one out, and, and his deal expires next summer. So I don't think they've, they've got too much to concern themselves around that. Uh, luckily, I mean, Pedro Cilovella, very much a fringe player anyway, have been some talk of trying to get him tied down to a new one. It's like a little bit of a value preserver, because he played a few FA Cup games and Carabao Cup games this season and shown himself in a good light. Um, so Liverpool could probably still think he'd get a decent fee on him if he signed a new contract. But uh, they re- resigned to losing Adam Lallana, who w- wants to play more games. So those are those are the two big ones, really, and I imagine that they still um, probably would leave um, at the end of the season. But uh, whether, whether it will just be a, a short-term extension until the end of the Premier League season, I'm not quite sure how how that will manifest itself, but um, that is probably the most logical one at the moment.
2: Mm. Another one, an Everton point of view, is there's a couple of players that probably were going to be leaving, uh, leaving the club, but will, will stay throughout the summer, it, it would seem. Yeah, yeah. The the weird
0: Everton career of Umanias has taken another <laughs> turn. And it's like he's going to be staying at Everton for another few months at least, which is, you know, I think, a little bit surprising to us all. Uh, Cuco Martina as well, who's contract was set to expire, uh, Martin Steckmanberg, I think, coming to the end of his contract. Uh, probably the most monthly is like names, isn't it? And, you know, at the start of the year, you would have thought to yourself, when he signed another year contract extension, you were thinking, Oh well, this is going to be last year, and he's probably going to step aside at the end of the season. But, you know, last few weeks before the break, he came into the side, and he, he showed some amazing quality, you know, in big games against uh, Man United as well. So, will Leighton Baines be able to earn himself a new contract maybe I, I wouldn't really pass them to be honest so yeah there's a, there, are, there are a few interesting sort of contract situations ever. I think there's a couple on loan as well as Shani Tarashai and Luke Garbutt I'm still expecting them to leave uh, by the end of this contract so I think Leighton Baines is the only one who maybe got a question mark over his head hmm.
2: okay chaps um, so before we finish um, just for the listeners, any uh, top tips on how to uh, break the boredom of lockdown?
1: Netflix or friend, I
3: suggest. <laughs> <laughs> have a have a one year old child that, that keeps you keeps you busy. You'll know that, Phil.
2: Yeah, yeah, that
0: does
3: keep you
2: busy. <laughs>
1: There's no
3: boredom. There's no boredom involved. Does Sam, Sam
0: count as a your old child? Because it counts as a, a child, day. certainly. Yeah, yeah. That, that's about the same thing. So looking after him
2: is
1: getting yeah. busy.
3: Any, I, feel sorry, uh, I feel sorry for you most of all then
2: <laughs> any recommendations ghosty
1: uh, well i'll re-watch you see from start to finish um, <laughs> one of my favorites um uh, just after watching a, like a dc thing called black lightning it's it's, it's okay so it's, uh, I, I wouldn't wouldn't shelter from the rooftop but it's, it's not bad and That's i'll it. move on to once i finish that one okay
0: anybody else i've just started watching air uh, parks and recreation on uh, amazon prime and i am um, Hugely enjoying it, and I'm bingeing, I'm bingeing the whole thing now. I think I'm up to like season
2: five or something. See what's going off, lad? I'm a man, Netflix. I know, I know. Well, well. <laughs> well, okay, Joe. Anything?
3: I've just finished Tiger King. You can you can come on Twitter and debate the morals so of that if you like. Uh, <laughs> Did not really think that, that that was that great? Um, watch the Sopranos. Watch the Wire. If you haven't seen them, this is your chance to to get educated with the best two series of all time. Yeah, a fact. That's not
2: bad. absolutely. <laughs> it is a fact. It's a big yeah. proven. Excellent. Uh, chaps, so much for your company and uh, thank you for listening to this uh, special Blood Red and Royal Blue podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo.